Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, March 17th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Did you have a good, did you have a good St. Patrick's Day? That's the question. Did you have a good St. Patrick's Day? I think, um... A lot of people were were celebrating St. Patrick's Day. A lot of people took off today, which is interesting because I don't really consider <clears throat> St. Patrick's Day a uh, a holiday. I mean, I don't, I don't consider it a holiday, but a lot of people seem to seem to consider it a holiday. And a lot of people took off. I noticed the gym that I go to. I usually go to the gym at a pretty busy time, like <clears throat> you know, five four thirty five in the afternoon every day and it's usually pretty busy and there was almost no one there today. I'm thinking, wait a minute, is this Saturday or Friday? No, it's Friday, but everyone seemed to be out partying. There were street parties, drinking. I've never got into I've really never gotten into St. Patrick's Day. And I think it's because I'm not a drinker. I'm not a drinker. I'm not really into cabbage. Corn beef I like, but I like I don't like corned beef and cabbage. I like like I like a Reuben. I like a corned beef Reuben. That's no longer Irish. That then becomes I guess it becomes Jewish, it becomes like a deli, a Jewish deli item. So it's not really, I don't think a Reuben, a corned beef Reuben is very Irish. It's very St. Patrick's Day. And everyone, and everyone uh, wore, wore green today. Everyone's wearing green. Everyone's wearing green all day. It's starting to make me nervous. It makes me nervous, everyone wearing the color green. It's not particularly a flattering color, you know. It's not a flattering color to wear. It's not a flattering color for a car. It's just not green. Is not a flattering color. It's just not. Maybe they can come up with something else to say. Maybe they can come up with like, with like, um, uh, let's see. How about like a nice, a nice magenta? How about St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> Instead of it's everything's green, we make it a nice magenta. Everyone wears something magenta. I think that might be more soothing for me because the green, the green doesn't seem to work. But I, if you if you celebrate St. Patrick's Day, I don't want to piss on your parade. Um, so to speak. So I hope you had a good one. Hope you're not too drunk. Hope this is not one of those nights where no one's going to tune in because everyone's fucking drunk and sleeping. Or you know what? It's I didn't even realize this. I should have taken today off. St. Patrick's Day on a Friday night. Everyone's at the bar drinking. No one's going to be listening. But hey, 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 the good thing about calling and about the, the year 2023 is that we can record these things and you can always listen to them at your leisure, after you've had your bloody, maybe after you've had your Saturday morning Bloody Mary, you can listen to the Friday night show of And Let's Be Heard. But there is a lot to talk about, regardless if you uh, want to join in or not. Um, there's a lot, a lot to, mauve, yeah, <clears throat> Daniel, I like that, mauve, 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 mauve. That might be a good uh, color. But I think mauve is much more soothing than than, than green, right? Then green, mauve, everyone can wear mauve from now on. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot on our plates. There really is. There's a lot. Of course, everything is grist for ever grinding mill here. Yeah, Lance. Well, Lance was, uh, you know, Daniel talks about Lance. Lance was, Lance was really the Lance of the, he was his best Lance on yesterday's show. If people didn't tune in to the Thursday show, Lance was really, at his at his bed. It was a tale of two shows. The first half of the show, I spoke because it was a light night and there weren't any callers. So I spoke for the first like 45 minutes because I'm just a pro and I can do those things. Most people couldn't, but I can. And then 
the second half of the show until we were abruptly cut short due to more technical difficulties on the call-in network. Um, it was Lance and I discussing a critical race theory and whether someone like Ron DeSantis has the right to uh, to tell uh, state-run colleges in Florida, state-funded colleges, uh, that you can't, uh, they can't uh, teach that crap. So we had a good conversation about it. Something else happened in Florida, which I'll get to shortly. This might, uh, this might enrage, I don't think this would enrage Lance or others, because I think most people would be on the, most people who listen to this podcast, hey, look, most people with a brain, most people with a moral compass will be on the right side of this. And it's a Florida ban, Florida's ban on transgender traditioning for minors went into effect today. So uh, you just, I'll read the story. I'll read the story shortly. Maybe we'll lead that. We'll lead with that, but there's a lot to talk about. There's Newsom and his tiny houses, Newsom and his tiny homes uh, that we can also talk about. Um, but there's also uh, a lot to talk about. There really is. There's a lot. Newsom building tiny homes, but not in San Francisco. San Francisco will not see any tiny homes. So that's, you know, one one good thing. Um, because none of this works. Newsom tried this. Remember, Gavin Newsom. For people who don't have a memory, for people who don't know how to use the Google machine uh, to use any of that stuff, uh, in, 20, in 2008, Gavin Newsom, when he was mayor of San Francisco, said that by 2018, homelessness would be eradicated. Now, not only was not homelessness eradicated in those 10 years, it got progressively worse with each year. Um, with each a political position Gavin Newsom has had, homelessness has gotten worse. Mayor, lieutenant governor, governor. So now he's up, he's coming up with his like 18th plan, which is the same as the first plan. If you go back to 2008, it's the same plan. It's throwing money at nothing, right? It's 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 virtue signaling, saying, well, the reason for homelessness is because we have income inequality. That's why people are homeless because they're rich. The richer the richer at fault. Instead of looking at the real problem, which of course is drug addiction and 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 uh and mental illness so they don't want to you know you don't want to do that because then then what happens is you have to actually do something right that's tough that's like tough love right to say well we feel bad you're homeless you shouldn't be homeless but you know what it's a drug addiction and your mental illness that's really causing this and and preventing you from getting up on your feet but that's no good because that's not left-wing virtue signaling that doesn't virtue signal to the left what virtue signals to the left is just saying, oh, we're going to throw another 15 million at this and we're going to blame the rich. It's income inequality that causes homelessness. And this is the same Gavin, same game Gavin Newsom played in 2008 with his plan when he was when he was uh, mayor of San Francisco, which, of course, didn't work and things only got worse. But Gavin Newsom knows Gavin Newsom knows that his constituents in particular have a very short attention span. They don't know what happened 15 years ago. They won't bother looking up what happened 15 years ago. And the left-wing media is certainly not going to highlight that he's saying the same thing he said 15 years ago in a different way. Same stuff in a different way, repackaged differently, but the same garbage, which is throwing money at something, throwing money, throwing money, throwing money, virtue signaling, scoring brownie points with your constituents so you can be in political office forever. That's the idea. Maybe you can win a Democratic primary. You know what I mean? So that's that's part of that. That's that's part of that. So um, we'll get to that. We'll get to Gavin Newsom. We'll get to an article that was written the, describing why he is the worst governor in the country. We'll talk about that also. Um, 
uh, well, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to go over. But you know what? Let's lead with the Florida story. Let's lead with the Florida story because I have it pulled up here. This is written in the New York Post today. Florida's ban on, on gender transitioning for minors is now in effect. Okay, so, so Florida's rule to stop minors from undergoing uh, gender transition procedures now come into effect, and Republican state lawmakers are forging ahead with plans to strengthen the restrictions even further. The Florida Board of Medicine's new measure, which took effect Thursday, actually, prohibits the use of puberty blockers, hormone therapies, or surgeries uh, to treat gender dysphoria for anyone in the Sunshine State under the age of 18. While kids who are already receiving gender-affirming treatment prior to Thursday can continue to do so, they aren't able to undergo sex reassignment surgeries under the new law. Separately, GOP lawmakers are currently advancing a bill through the Florida State Florida Senate that will make it a felony to provide any such gender-affirming care to minors, as well as ban state funds from being used to cover the same care for adults. A, comparison, a companion bill has also been introduced in the state house. Ahead of the gender ban taking effect, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, defended his position after President Biden gave an interview say, uh, saying Florida's new rule was close to sinful. It's just terrible what they're doing, Biden told The Daily Show earlier this week. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decide I want to become a man or I want to become a woman. I mean, what are they thinking about here? It's cruel, the president asked, added. DeSantis, who's widely expected to run against Biden in 2024, hit back tweeting, it's not sinful to prohibit the manipulation of the mutilation of minors. It is not acceptable for the federal government to mandate that procedures like sex change operations be allowed for kids. The Sunshine State's rule come after the Board of Medicine and the Florida Board of Osteopathic, Osteopathic Medicine first announced in November that they'd approve the new ban, sparking backlash from trans activists who argued that the rule contradicted medical evidence. During tense hearings where opponents and backers of the ban voiced their concerns, Board of Medicine member and pediatric anesthesiologist Dr. Hector Vila insisted hundreds of studies were reviewed as part of the decision-making process. He argued that the overwhelming data does not support the use of puberty blockers and hormone therapy. This board is not against research, is not against care for transgender children, Vila added. Chairman of the Florida Board of Medicine, Scott Ackerman, said the decision, what the board has sought to do is protect our children from therapies that have irreversible harm. So it's very limited. It's a very limited set of therapies that we have been restricted. But this board still wants these parents called for, cared for, these patients cared for, absolutely, according to the Orlando Weekly. Nationally, a handful of other states are also approving similar measures. GOP legislators in Kentucky overwhelmingly passed a new measure Thursday to ban gender-affirming care for transgender minors. Kentucky's new bill also contains sweeping measures that will allow teachers to refuse to refer to transgender students by their preferred pronouns and ban schools from discussing sexual orientation or gender identity with students of any age. Those in support argued they are trying to protect children from undertaking gender-affirming treatments that they might later regret as adults. We're talking about removing healthy body parts that you cannot put back on, GOP Senator Lindsey Tichner said. I've seen the pictures. It's horrifying. Meanwhile, Mississippi's Republican Governor Tate Reeves recently signed a bill to ban gender-affirming hormones or surgery in the state for anyone under 18. And the Republican governors of South Dakota and Utah also signed bans on gender-affirming care this year. Uh, so that's the... 
that's the, that's the latest out of out of uh, Florida. This is uh, truly amazing. It really is truly amazing that anyone that anyone anyone would think it's okay to mutilate children. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't understand. How did we get by? I've brought this up in the past. Thank you, Daniel. How did we brought by? Uh, how did we get by without this stuff in the past? How, how did we, me, you, how did we grow up and be okay? Oh, we're not perfect. I'd never use the word normal for anybody, especially myself. But how did we? How did we? How do we deal without this stuff? I understand. I want to ask liberals. How did we ever? How did we ever grow up without this stuff and survive? How did we survive without about uh, teaching uh, gender sex change in, in kindergarten? How did we survive without teaching white children that they're racist and black children they're not good enough without the hand of the white government helping them? How did we survive without that? How did we survive without uh, cutting uh, penises off and mutilating vaginas? For all these years of, of children under 18, had we all survive? I don't get it. Someone needs to tell me, how did we all survive? Well, Daniel, I don't know if you're normal, but, you know, whatever. Um, it's just, I, I don't get the idea that this stuff need that we need. If, you know, there's something, there's an old saying. It's very common. It says, if it ain't broke, <laughs> don't fix it. And that could work for a uh, a, bod- a bodily anatomy also. If it ain't broke, don't fix it or change it. I don't know how we survived all this time. Without this enlightenment to the left, the left enlightening us, how did I survive as a child? Let me, I, I wonder, maybe I didn't survive. How did I survive childhood? How did I survive childhood without going to a drag show or having a drag show brought to me? How did I survive without without... Uh, had I survived, had I, had I get through kindergarten, had I get through elementary school without a drag queen shaking her tits in my, in my face or her ass? I don't know how I did it. How did I do it, liberal? Tell me how. Somehow it worked. Somehow it worked. But what does not work, you see, is that these adults, it's not working for the adults who want to impose their sickness on children. We saw this during COVID, folks. Adults who want to impose their neuroses on children. Adults afraid of getting sick or dying, even though they had almost no chance of that happening if they were healthy. Um, from children, children spreading disease to adults, children spreading disease. We were told that children were vectors of disease that were spreading to adults and killing grandparents at breakneck race, at breakneck paces like wildfire spreading their diseases. These were sick adults. These were sick individuals, sick adults who were imposing their hypochondria, their paranoia, their obsessive compulsive disorder on children. And this is the same thing that's happening with this transgender and race stuff. They want, it's adults. It's sick fuck adults like Scott Weiner, who's more than just a sick adult. He's more than just a sick person. He's not a sick parent. He's a sick legislator who is allowed to impose his will on others. His fetishes. He wants to make his fetishes law. He wants to turn his personal sick, dark fetishes into law and impose his will on children. This is what we're getting now. This is what's happening. These are very sick people. They are AAA Sicolas. They're nuts. Anyone who believes that a child should be able to cut their penis off at six years old is insane. 
you are insane. We're not, we're not talking about, this is not the same as sexual orientation. This is not the same as, as being under 18 and, um, experimenting with your sexual orientation, because that's not something permanent that you can't, you could, if you want to experiment, if you want to be, if you want to experiment with men or women at 15, 14, 15, 16 years old, as long as you're doing it with, with people your own age, that's fine. Nothing's permanent there. You can decide to continue that sexual orientation and lifestyle as an adult or not. You could be gay. You could be straight. You could be bisexual. You could be asexual. Whatever you want, but you can go back and forth with that. It's fluid. That's truly sexual fluidity. It's nothing permanent you can't, that, that, that you can't go back to. You can't undo it when you mutilate your vagina or penis. There's no going back. And we're seeing more and more stories now. We're seeing more and more stories now of, of, um, people who get these sexual transition hormones, who take them, who get the operations, and they regret it later. They do it when they're under 18, and when they're an adult, they begin to regret it. They wish they had never done it. We're seeing more and more of these stories, and they end up worse off. They end up more depressed after they do it because they can't go back. So we're seeing suicide, suicide attempts, people killing themselves or trying to take their own lives. The left would make you believe that a child who's six, who wants to be a girl or a boy, is going to take their own life if they're not allowed to be a girl or a boy. That is total bullshit, total unmitigated bullshit. What is happening is the regret, the regret that's coming later in life. And you can't, there's no going back. There's no going back. So thank goodness for governors like Ron DeSantis. But once again, as we saw during COVID, it's incredibly sad that this is a left-right thing, a Republican-Democrat thing. It's not. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. You know, whether it's masking or whether it's lockdowns or shutting down businesses or forced vaccinations, forced medical procedures, or it's the sex change issues, these the gender fluidity, the, the, the sex mutilations, bodily mutilations. This is this shouldn't be a, a left-right thing. This shouldn't be a, a Republican-Democrat thing. Not at all. But why is it? Why? That's my question to you. I know it's a hypothetical I know it's I know it's 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 not easy to answer is is simply why do the why do the Repu- democrats have to be this way why do they have to make this why does that everything have to be a battle I don't get it so things that are common sense and human decency human and 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 moral and right and ethical I don't get it I don't get it it's because Democrats have taken these stances that I've left that I left that party. They don't have to take these stances, but they seem to need to be the critique. They need to be the they need to be the opposite of what the Republicans are. Even what the Republicans are saying, even what the conservatives are saying, make uh, make total sense, uh, totally moral and ethical. They need to find a way to take the other side. 
They need to find a way to take the other side. I, 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 people think it's absurd, but I can bring up the most extreme thing. Like, uh, uh, you know, Trump comes out against serial killers and all of a sudden liberals will say, well, you know, serial killers are people, too. It's, I'm very serious. It's a sickness to have to always take the opposite side of either the opposite party or, as we've definitely seen over the last five, six years, the opposite of Trump. Now, we've seen this over and over again, right? We've seen it with people who truly have Trump derangement syndrome. In other words, there are two, there are lots of kinds of Trump derangement syndrome. I've, I've, I've explained this before. The Trump derangement are the left kind and the right kind. But I think there's even more subcategories. There's the Trump derangement syndrome where whatever Trump says, you have to go the opposite way, which is what we've discussed many times in the past. If Trump had said, you must get the vaccine, you must wear a mask, you must lock down, all Democrats would have said, up your ass, we're not doing that, you fascist, okay? So it's too bad he didn't do that. He didn't understand, he's not smart enough to understand reverse psychology. So there's that Trump derangement syndrome. Then there's the Trump derangement syndrome of the planned kind, of the planned kind, and this is what I mean, like the Lincoln Project. Like really scumbag. And this is even, you know, this is even worse than those people who are really psychologically fucked up with Trump derangement syndrome. Okay. Those people, in a way, they don't know what they're doing. They can't help themselves. But then there are the people who like the, of the Lincoln project, right? Who saw an opportunity. They said, Oh, wow. This Trump derangement, this anti-Trump stuff, there's mind be, there's books to be written here. There's money to be made here. We're, we're nobodies right now as regular old Republican conservatives. We're nobodies. So what we'll do is we'll become the anti-Trump Republican, but then it got to the point where they got so caught up in it, they can't even be Republicans anymore now. It's, it's very bizarre. Everything these, these quote-unquote conservatives believed before, they can no longer believe now because they got so caught up in this game, this fabricated game of being anti-Trump that now they're caught and now they have to be weird liberals. It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Everything they st- everything these conservatives, these fake conservatives stood for before Trump, now they're on the opposite side of because they're caught now if they go back again. You see, that's the situation. People like what? Matt Walsh? Is that his name? Matt Walsh? Am I getting his name right? I'll go through my uh, feed. I think I'm Matt Walsh. I think Matt Walsh is the guy I'm talking about. <clears throat> the guy who was a Republican the conservative before Trump. And then Joe Walsh, sorry, Joe Walsh, not Matt, Matt the pot, Joe Walsh. Too many Walshes. It's a very common name. Uh, so Joe Walsh, right. Joe Walsh is that kind of guy. He was, he was a nobody. In the, in the Republican Party, he was like a nobody. And he found the opportunity, like the Lincoln Project people. Okay, let's be anti-Trump. But then they, like I said, I think, I think their intention might have been to go back to the party once he was gone. But they got so caught up in this, and that became their identity, that they would be seen as total frauds if they went back again. So now they're caught in this, like, no-man's land of not really being liberals. They were conservatives their whole lives. They were in politics as staunch. Joe Walsh was a staunch conservative. The people in the Lincoln Project were staunch conservatives. Now, all of a sudden, they're taking the opposite. If you're a Republican, they're taking the opposite side like a progressive because they were caught up in this game they were playing. The self-serving, selfish game of picking up on Trump derange, going on the TDS bandwagon, the anti-Trump bandwagon, and now they can't get off. Now it's like a runaway car, runaway train. So that's the other part of TDS. 
There are the people who are truly sick and can't help it. Then there are people like Joe Walsh and the Lincoln Project who just went on the bandwagon because it was popular. And then, of course, there's the Trump derangement syndrome of the right kind, the right wingers, the pro-Trumpers who are doing nutty things now, like following Trump's lead and saying that Charlie Crist was a better governor than Ron DeSantis, that Florida was in great shape under Charlie Crist and had nothing to do with DeSantis. And they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're taking photos of DeSantis and, and burning them. They're insane. They're insane. Trump is a cult to them. You see, anti-Trump is a cult and pro-Trump is a cult. Two sides. Two sides are the same equation. Two sides of the same coin, if you will. It, TDS rubs both ways. The right kind and the left kind. And one wonders if this man has totally gone out of politics or if this man passes away at some point, if this will end or not. Or if people will be doing seances. I, I don't know. But at some point, this has got to end because it's, it's becoming a, it's becoming such a psychological disease, such a sick psychological disease that it's infesting lefties and righties, conservatives and liberals, Democrats and Republicans. Hey, Daniel, what's going on? How's it going? Hey. Yeah, there there is something infecting a lot of minds out there, and you know sometimes I I am thankful for it at times. Um, COVID, for example, um, this transgender stuff, uh, CRT, um, it's just exposing um, and has exposed those who are um, of how should we say it? Those who um, are of. Their character challenged, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they seem to be highly susceptible to uh, suggestions coming from supposed authorities. And it's always a supposed authority, and it's an authority that, uh, that uh, the uh, media, mainstream media, is, is touting as an authority. And if the mainstream media does that, there's... They're they're almost uh, you know at least halfway there and getting uh, getting uh, you know a large part of our population to believe just about anything. Um, all the mainstream media has to do is is tout it um, for, for a while and yeah people just they just fall in line. Um, did it with COVID? Did it with uh, the gender stuff? Did it with CRT? Um, may have uh, the uh, it, uh, social contagion may have been an issue with the. Uh, um, uh, so-called Valley Bank meltdown. Um, it's it's this is frightening. This is just it's just frightening that uh, that algorithms, um, code, <laughs> controlling social media and, and nudging people's opinions in one direction or another. It's it's frightening that it actually works on some people. And it is it is. I mean, this this is something I've been saying frequently. Um, Silicon Valley used to every year talk about, you know, what's the next big thing? And the next big thing was usually some, you know, technology as in hardware or software that's being developed. Um, But they stopped talking about that, you know, three or four years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And, And I have held that the reason that they stopped talking about it is because we were the next big thing. Control of us was the next big thing. 
the size of, of data that can be um, acquired and analyzed and used to manipulate us is it's, it's a fairly recent development to the ability to get that much data, store that much data, and be able to have the processing power to process that much data. And we we are the next big thing. Controlling us is the next big thing. And it may be in some ways the final frontier for, for Silicon Valley, which, which itself is going through some real growing pains right now with mass layoffs, um, Zuck has uh, has um, come to his senses and, and seen the light, and is and is talking and behaving like a um, old school uh, um, CEO, um, and firing people left and right because of efficiency, um, and, and no more of the uh, catered lunches every day at uh, Zuck headquarters or at Google or at uh, Twitter. Um, lots of heads are on the chopping block, um, but we will we will see how this this all pans out. But people really, really, really need to, uh, as I said before, assume that they're being manipulated. Whenever they read anything in the media, see anything in the media, one's first assumption should be these days that they are being manipulated. And until otherwise proven, that is should be the default uh, um, position that everyone takes. Well, and, and, you know, there's no doubt about that. There's, there's zero doubt about that, you know, and, and, uh, there's more, but the problem is, as I've said, when I, at the beginning of the show, when I talked about Gavin Newsom and his, his new homelessness project, which is the same as the last project, which is the same as the project before that, Daniel, it's very disheartening. I can see, I can, I can see if this, if, if his original project, the first time he spoke about this was 70, 80 years ago. We're talking 15 years ago. We're talking 2008, the same year Barack Obama was elected president. It's not that long ago. And it was the same shit, you know, the same, the same crap that's not going to work. The same crap that's going to make, that makes virtue, it works a virtue, it, it, it gets him votes with these, with these naive Democrat lemming voters. But it just ends up making more people homeless. It, it makes the, it, it, not only does it not make the situation any better, it makes it worse in the long run. So it hurts more people. Most of Gavin Newsom's projects and plans, it ends up killing people in the end. It ends up killing more people. It gets him votes. It keeps him in political power. It makes him a front runner for the Democratic primary, but it ends up hurting and killing the masses. He doesn't care about that. But what's, what's really annoying is that how many times, how many times, and it's not just with the homelessness issue with Newsom and, how many times do people have to be lied to before they simply stop listening? How many times? Think about that. I, I want people to put it in, the, in a personal perspective. If you know someone, a friend, a lover, whatever it may be, a spouse, and they and the, and you and you catch them cheating on you once, twice, five, ten, fifteen. When do you say enough was enough? Yeah, the problem is that um, people. People tend to, unless it affects them in very serious ways, and and it did affect so many people, COVID, in very serious ways. There's going to be blowback there, definitely. But unless the the bad policies affect people in really serious ways and hits them right at home, they just forget about it. So Newsom's going to spend a bunch of money on a bunch of tiny homes. We know exactly what's going to happen. Those tiny homes will be trashed by the addicts living in it. Those tiny homes will be trashed by the people with serious psychiatric illness living in them because the hallmarks of those two diseases are the inability to keep one's mind and external space organized. And by organized, 
We mean on a very, very, very simplistic level organization that, that is just keeping food off the floor. That is how, that's how I simple. Know. I know. And, and, and these places will be trashed in no time. They will be unlivable. Even if you clean them up, they will be unlivable in no time. All that money will be wasted. Well, wasted as far as we're concerned. The homelessness industrial complex is going to have a great time. Um, they're going to they're going to make lots of money off of this. And two years later, people forget that uh, Newsom even tried to do it. Or Newsom will say, "I tried to do it, but but we'll come up with some bullshit uh, uh, answer that uh, somehow uh, Republicans or the right wing somehow prevented him from from." from making this a big success story. You know, it's, it's, it's so predictable. Um, you can, you can, you know, set your clock by, by this. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's going to fail. I mean, you, you can predict the failure of these tiny homes better than we could, for, better than we could have predicted and did predict the, the failure of lockdown and mask. I mean, th- this is, it, it's, it's, it's a no brainer. They're going to fail when within weeks of anyone getting in one of those things, they're going to fail. Well, absolutely. They're going to, of course, they haven't, they they, they have, right, because this is once again, and I don't believe this is Newsom's really belief anymore, that the homeless just need a home and all you got to do is build homes. I, I don't, I don't even believe he even believes that anymore. He knows it hasn't worked and he knows this won't work, but he knows that's what plays with the Democratic party he knows well, that plays with democratic voters that's what they believe that's what they believe but believe me he has enough people he's look as as, as mayor of san francisco's lieutenant governor of california as a governor of california he's had enough people tell him the real deal he's had enough people in his ear telling him what the real deal is but he knows that's not going to win him any votes it's not going to win any votes when you say, no, no, we have to get these people off drugs. No, no, we have to work on the mental health of these crazy people. He's not going to, that, that's a, the liberals don't want to hear that. They cringe when they hear reality. They, they, they cringe when you talk about real issues and, and, and the real hard work it's going to take and how the people on the street are at least partially responsible for being there. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear what Newsom is saying, which is it's the, it's the, it's the fault of the rich. We're going to throw money at it and build tiny homes and, the, and homelessness will go away. All Newsom really cares about is feeding the homelessness industrial complex. Absolutely. It, no, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar operation. For it's sure. an industry that he supports um, just like with Big Pharma. He doesn't care how many lives get chewed up by it. Whether it's a homelessness industrial complex, or whether it's or, or whether it's the vaccine, whether it's the pharmaceutical industrial complex and the medical industrial complex, he doesn't care how many lives get chewed up by his policies. All he cares about is whether those complexes are making money hand over fist, and whether they're going to contribute to his reelection so that he can continue to make money hand over fist. That's it. You're right. That, that's basically it. That's that, that's all it comes down to. But once again, I don't. Yes, I hate Newsom. I make it very clear on this show how much I hate the hair gel king of California. But I expect this from him. That's what he is. He's a he's a purely political scumbag. That's all. All it's about is him and gaining power and getting votes. That's it. And one hundred percent. Right. Well, but, what I do, but what's disheartening is that the people never seem to catch on. Yeah, I have never. I don't think in my life I have ever seen a um, politician 
that was quite like like Newsom in that he is, as you said, 100% political. There is nothing about this person that um, that that uh, um, gives anyone any hope or inclination that he actually cares for um, his constituents' well-being. He he really is just a political animal, and he is going to do what he th- what he thinks it takes to politically succeed. And whatever that, however he defines that, that that's that's all he's going to do. This guy is, I've, I've, I've simply never seen somebody in politics this heartless. I mean, you usually have to get into sociopath uh, territory in order to find somebody this heart, heartless. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not um, inconceivable that it, that is exactly um, where he is. Well, yes, right, right. But once again... He's not a he's not a new entity, and the fact that people haven't caught on and are continuing to vote for him and and and, and help him and basically do exactly what he wants him to do, which is ascend him, ascend him through the rankings of politics, is is just sickening to me. It's 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 very tough. It's very tough to to live amongst these people, as you know. Hey, I need not tell you. I need not tell you. So. Yeah, I'm still walking around San Francisco on, uh, on on the way to BART this morning to to get across to Berkeley. Uh, I was noting that about 10 percent of people on the streets in the morning are still wearing masks. I mean, yeah. this is this is just incredible. It's just unbelievable to me. I just simply cannot get my head around. You know, half of it is half of it is political. At least half of it is political. And these people, especially, I think, with the young, I think a lot of them just wear these things. They're just political symbols, and for them, it never really was much more than a political symbol. But when I see people in their fifties and later, and in their fifties and later years, walking around with these things on, I can't think for them it, it's a political symbol. They aren't that naive. They aren't that naive in thinking that this, you know, this political symbol is going to matter in any to any great degree so those 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 folks they're, they're just simply neurotic and like i said at the beginning here um of my call i am thankful in some in some ways i'm thankful for what um covid and this gender stuff um um and CRT um, is exposing in our population. And in some ways, I'm thankful for this this thing that I'm warning about: um, social media and artificial intelligence um, nudging us and our opinions around. In some re- in, in some weird sort of way, I'm thankful for it because it's it's exposing people for who they are. Now I look around and I know that at least 10% of the population is is probably neurotic. I think that's a good thing to understand. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, did you see the? This is a. I want. I want to. Uh, this is something incredible. Someone posted this on Twitter about an hour ago. It's. It's called our face mask song. I will always wear my face mask all day long at school. I will always wear my face mask. It shows that I'm so cool. Masks help everyone stay healthy. Teachers, friends, and family. I will always wear my face mask. It helps us stay germ free. So this is. This is, yeah, this you're, is you're, you're supposed this to is, sing that to the tune of I've been working. I've been working on the railroad. On the railroad. Yeah. I've yeah. been working on the railroad. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was that actually. I mean, people write stuff on Twitter all the time that that it isn't real. It was that. Can, can anyone actually verify that it was in the classroom? Because I would really like to. Well, to, 
It looks like it's out. It looks like it's out of a. It looks like out of as a notebook. Yeah, it looks like. I mean, it, they, the 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 screenshot looks looks you know fairly, you know, and as it's posted by Simon Godek, Doctor Simon Godek, a real go, a real doctor who's got three hundred thousand followers who usually posts pretty pretty factual things. So yeah, well, well, I, I would I would like to see that backed up because if you can back it up, I'd be come on, Daniel, is this a stretch to believe? Of course not. Well, it's, it's 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 certainly not a stretch to believe. No. What I'm saying is, I'd like to see it a citation and see it referenced for for the express purpose of me writing to that principal at that school and giving him a piece of my mind. Yeah, well, you know, we we know about medical. This is this someone posted. This is basically medical indoctrination. It is once again the reason why this is so believable is because they have forced masks on children for three years now. Adults, like I say, have enforced their own neuroses on children. Adults are forcing. Look, if adults are gonna if adults are gonna force their beliefs on gender mutilation on children and make children get mutilated at young ages, why not this? This very banal little song that children can sing about their face masks. I mean, it's oh, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing unbelievable about it at all. Yeah. I just would like to, to to see a citation so that I knew who to address. Yeah, no. So I, I'm just, it's just, it's stunning. It's incredibly stunning. This stuff. It's yeah, yeah. It it it, it keeps stunning. I mean, here we are, three years um, uh, into this this um, uh, nonsense, and there's still the true believers out there. And and it's you know, as people have been pointing out to the from the very beginning, um, this mask wearing stuff is very much like a religion. Mm. Uh, it, it's they just they believe, and that's it. And you're not going to shake them from their belief, um, and and. And if you try, um, it, it, it's just like talking to a schizophrenic. If you try to convince them that their delusions are not real, they incorporate you into their delusions and you become their enemy. Right. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Hey, Daniel, thanks for the call. Stick around. We've got some film, review, film reviews coming. Oh, up. yeah. <laughs> hey, and, and, and I, I want to say before I do the film reviews, uh, John, John Williams, did you see John Williams with the Oscars on Sunday? So, I mean, fresh off the Oscars on Sunday, here he is. He's, he'll be knocking on my door any minute now to set up for the to do the song. I mean, isn't this guy great, John Williams? What yeah, a great say, yeah. say, say hi to the boys in the band for me. I will. Absolutely. Thanks, Daniel. I, I appreciate it. Okay. Lance, stay there. I'm going to get to you. I think, Lance, you seem to want to talk about the homeless thing. I'm going to read a story, then you can come on. This is a story about Gavin Newsom being roasted for his plan to build tiny houses for the homeless. Um. The Rutgers report, the Rubin report, host Dave Rubin, sounded off Friday on America's newsroom uh, on California Governor Newsom's plan to build 1,200 tiny homes for the state's homeless population, arguing the Democrat leader is taking a backwards approach to the crisis and is ruining the state with his liberal policies. Um, so this is basically, okay, California is going to spend $30 million, $30 million, three zero, to build 1,200 small homes across the state, but none in San Francisco this year, Newsom announced on Thursday, part of a plan to help house the nation's largest homeless population and to address an issue that has persistently plagued the state during the governor's time in office, not just as governor, not just as lieutenant governor, but as also mayor of San Francisco. The homes, uh, some as small as 120 square feet, which is a little bit smaller than a uh, – uh, a cabin on a cruise ship. And if you've ever been in a cabin on a cruise ship, woof, talk about claustrophobia. Uh, it can be assembled in 90 minutes. This is a home that can be assembled in an hour and a half, the, the usual running time of my podcast. 
and cost a fraction of what it takes to build permanent housing. Newsom said the homes can create space to help clear homeless encampments that have sprung up across the state's major cities. Federal courts have ruled cities can't clear homeless encampments if there are no shelter beds available. We need to focus more energy and precision on addressing encampments, Newsom said. There's no humanity there. People are dying on our watch. Newsom announced a plan in Sacramento on a first stop of a planned four-city store tour where he's planned to pro- make major policy announcements on housing, health care, and public safety. God help us. But Dave Rubin's response was, I'd actually like to give Gavin Newsom credit, believe it or not, because nobody on earth in the history of the world is better at creating homeless people than Gavin Newsom. And he deserves credit for that. You know, when he was San Francisco mayor back in 2008, he had like a 10 year plan. This is what I've talked about to eliminate homelessness. There's a video going viral that explains that people can check it out. And it's on the it's on at Ruben report, by the way, if you want to see that video, which I played here a couple of months ago. He has ruined San Francisco as mayor. He's ruined California's governor. If you think that 1,200 homes are going to do anything about the homeless problem, which has far more to do with fentanyl and meth and the general state of lawlessness that the progressives and the Democrats and the one-party state that is California have caused, I mean, it's not going to stop anything. You know, these people have serious drug problems. They have serious psychological problems on top of the economic conditions. And as I said, the Democrats have created this. So there's 100 other issues that should be dealt with to help these people. If you believe the state has that role, then we can talk about housing. But relative to housing, California also has some of the highest taxes in the nation, some of the craziest regulation related to buildings. So builders don't want to build there for that reason. And, you know, all the high-income earners are fleeing the state. So you're getting less tax revenue for these crazy adventures that Gavin wants to go on. Dave is 100% right. 100% right. Lance, how's it going, my buddy? How you doing? Hey. Good, man. You know. By the way, by the way, Lance, I want to clear something up. The, the damn feed went out yesterday. That's why I couldn't put you back on. That's fine. Yeah. All right, you know, go ahead. I, I don't even think twice about that because I just, I know you're just generally an asshole. So I just don't, I, I, I roll it off my back. <laughs> like, oh, you know, oh, he's just being an asshole again. I'll, I'll still come back to his you show. See, but I wasn't an asshole. You were wrong. The feed uh, no. in was the asshole. I'll give you two thumbs no, I'm up. Kidding. So <laughs> I, I, I'd like to have a back and forth because, you know, uh, I have a couple of things that's, you know, that I've thought this through specifically. You know, I'm trying to do a thing that involves homeless. For one thing, I would just say this very, 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 very briefly. because It's not what I wanted to start with. But whatever that little tent or whatever their little lean-to or whatever space they have in the shelter, the tiny home's a lot bigger than that. And it's theirs. But anyway, number one. I know you're an open-minded guy, and I don't have it in front of me. It's demonstrably false that uh, housing-first programs don't work. They do. But let me say this. First of all, I don't trust Gavin Newsom, even if I liked his program that you're talking about, which I've read about too. I wouldn't trust him any further than I could throw a a regular-sized house. So forget Gavin Newsom. And by the way, I don't think it's just because of corrupt lefties or uh, that they went to their logical conclusion or they got. No, I mean, lefty policies from Jump Street suck. I think any new good ideas, there aren't very many, are coming from the right, even though I think all five of them. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you a quick anecdote. And I can find this. I can link you to this, man. This is a real story. Okay, I'm not Alex Jones. I'm not William or whoever. Okay. Maybe you'll like Alex Jones, but okay, briefly, in Las Vegas, just two or three years ago, before the pandemic, I think, you know, uh, 
a bunch of people. They found some abandoned public property, like on the other side of the underpass. By the way, there's two, if you want to say, general groups of people. Some won't even go to shelters because they need to be right there where the drugs are or they're mentally ill, et cetera, et cetera. There's families. It's been since the 80s. Right? For 40 years, we've had families. A lot of, okay, they tend to want to go and disappear and be anonymous. Okay, so this kind of group of people, okay, uh, they had a spot where this guy with a beard helped them, right? These homeless folks, right? There's a lot of more family folks, people that were trying to make it work on some abandoned property that was hidden away that nobody ever wanted, but it was San Francisco owned property. He helped them build tiny homes. Yep. According to Facebook and, you know, and Google and, you know, doing it right based on the protocols and what they said, how you should do it, what kind of structure to make it sound, et cetera, et cetera. City said, nope, city property can't do it. Illegal. Tore it down. Part two. Here's the second chapter. It's short. It's as short as the first chapter. This guy said, oh, well, so he got some people together. He got a few philanthropists, local and uh, this is Vegas, right? And a lot of money floating around there, right? Some do-gooders here and there, right? And bought a plot of land, not that plot, but bought a plot of land, built tiny homes, which, of course, you can build them. They're they're legal, I think, in all 50 states and certainly in Nevada and Las Vegas. Built them not just like according to how to build a strong thing on Google, to the codes, to the T. Okay, so they own the land. They bought the, you know, they built the material, got the materials and built the tiny home for these folks exactly according to the code. But like any business, there could be a good faith problem with some tax or thing you didn't fill out or you didn't do so. That, that's, that's, that doesn't have to be a bad faith thing that there could be a technical thing at the end of the day to say, okay, now you're an official community. You bought the land and we're going to recognize the fact that blah, blah, blah. They found something, some, whatever it was that they needed to some paperwork that was pending or something. Oh no, paperwork, not perfect. After they had jumped through every hoop and did everything exactly by the law, owning the land, buying the land, getting the money to build. They tore it down again, the motherfuckers. That's what they did. They tore it down. So that's, that, that's our government at work. They don't want that. Okay. Now, let me tell you about this other story. I can read this whole motherfucking article because I just did a show on this yesterday. I did a whole show on homelessness, had a lot of people listening. And it was about this group called, they're called Cicero, founded by Peter Thiel's buddies at Palantir. Okay. And what they do is they go around like uh, one of these groups that does these groups where they go from state to state uh, crafting legislation. They're based in Austin. They go around the country. They're a think tank. They, they want to criminalize homelessness, make it a misdemeanor. And they want, and they say, and we have private prisons ready to take them. Private prisons. Yeah. So there, it, there's a war on homeless that's very similar to the, the, the actual gun war with war for profit. There is a war on homeless people. People to use them to make money. So don't, hey, don't. They know it works and they don't want it to happen. And there's nothing wrong with tiny homes. They're perfectly livable structures. There's people that live in tiny little structures, not just in Tokyo, that are very fancy people that work in tech and in New York City where people get these little spaces that they get instead of having five roommates. So, no, tiny homes are perfectly livable. So I push. Okay, Lance, thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, tiny homes are great, but you have to you have to address the underlying issues. It's just like a medical issue. It's like medical conditions. You need the underlying medical conditions. Then you can deal with other things, but you have to deal with the underlying conditions of drug abuse, 
mental illnesses. Otherwise, those homes aren't going to do any good. They're not going to know what to do with them. They're going to destroy them. Also, 1,200. 1,200 homes across California is not going to do anything. I have 1,200 homeless people on my block. Okay, so there's that. Um, Other issues to get to. Here's a biggie. This is a biggie. A biggie. Because we like people fighting back. We like people fighting back. And a California church is fighting back. A California church is fighting back after they have fought. Listen to this. They will find $2.8 million for staying open during COVID. Okay. So Santa Clara County, this is with the uh, uh, Sarah Cody, the moron, uh, quote unquote, health czar, Sarah Cody of Santa Clara County, which encompasses San Jose, the largest city in Northern California. Denied using surveillance technology to track worshipers. Here's a story. A church in California is countersuing Santa Clara County after the state imposed $2.8 million in fines on the place of worship for ignoring COVID-19 lockdown orders, according to the free press. Calvary Chapel is in Silicon Valley and part of a larger Santa Clara County. It was the first county in the country to declare a shelter-in-place order in 2020, ordering citizens to remain in their homes unless engaging in essential activity like buying groceries or going to the hospital. Because as we all know, as we all know, hiding from the illness, hiding from COVID made COVID go away. Calvary claims the orders violated worshippers' First Amendment rights and violated the excessive fines clause of the Eighth Amendment. According to the church's attorney, uh, Mariah Gondero, the state's masking orders were unconstitutional because they were not applied equally among all people. They exempted essential government entities as well as personal care businesses like hair and nail salons and entertainment studios. There was no singing ban on entertainment studios, so they continued their productions, she said. A spokesperson for the Santa Clara County told the, the Free Press they issued notices of violation to hundreds of entities that violated the orders, including card rooms, and virtually all of them came into compliance. It would not be appropriate to allow Calvary, an entity that continually violated the law and placed the community at severe risk, to receive more favorable treatment over all those, including hundreds of churches that made the sacrifices to comply with the law. The county also argues that an imperative to protect the public from the health risks of pandemic. Calvary initially filed the orders in March, but two months later, Pastor Mike McClure gave a sermon. Oh my God, he gave a sermon in May of 2020. God doesn't want us to isolate ourselves, he told the crowd. Neither do, I'll, I'll add, neither do real scientists. All the need to be in the sanctuary, all of us need to be in the sanctuary. I don't care what they say. I'm never again going to close doors ever. And I personally don't care what God thinks. <laughs> I care what science says. And science says, of course, lockdowns were bullshit. The following Sunday, church services were held. They were also held every Sunday after that. It was only the Santa Clara County Church to defy the lockdown openly. Masking and soul dishing were optional. People sang together and some even embraced. In October of 2020, the county allowed houses of worship to operate at 25% capacity. By the way, Remember those capacity numbers? They said, okay, 10%, 25%. They pulled that. That came out of their ass. That came out of Sarah Cody's. Woohoo. Calvary held services sometimes with attendees going well into the thousands. Good for them. Months earlier, in August of 2020, Santa Clara created a business compliance unit of 10 employees to investigate any violations. Imagine being one of those employees, those 10 people. Imagine taking such a, such a low-life job to investigate any violations of their COVID-19 lockdown regulations. Citizens were also encouraged to report neighbors. Look at that. Yeah, be a be a rat. Be a rat. Using their website and hotline anonymously. I come from Brooklyn. We don't we don't we do, we don't take to rats. We we squash rats. We squash them like bugs under our feet. 
One anonymous complaint in August 2020 saw the church get slapped with a cease and desist order. From that point further, officials surveilled the church, reported violations, and wrote up fines. Every time a violation was not corrected, the fine was doubled up to a maximum penalty of five grand a day. Those fines accumulated to $2.8 million. They're insane. Calvary criticized many of the messages the state used to enforce his protocols. Over at least three months, agents watched the church through a chain link fence owned by a church next door. The adjacent church, the adjacent church, uh, sorry, I lost my place here, had permitted the state to let law enforcement station themselves on their property. Calvary was written up for parking lot attendees, failure to wear face masks outdoors, a lack of adequate social distancing, and hugging. Officials also count the number of cars parked outside the church on a daily basis. They treated this church, these people treated this church <laughs> the way the FBI goes after the mob. They count the number of cars. They take the license plates down. Whenever the mob attends an event, a wedding or something, they take the license plates down. As you saw at the beginning of the movie Godfather during the, the uh, uh, during the wedding sequence. Oh, God. According to journalist David Zweig, Santa Clara County hires Selfgraph, a company that aggregates information from 47 million mobile devices. They're insane, these people. They're fucking insane. They started gathering information on mobile devices to see who was in church. The company's resources were allegedly used to set up a, a virtual perimeter around the Calvary Church and utilize GPS to track churchgoers. How fucking insane are these people? How insane are these government officials? Daniel Ho, a Stanford law professor with a public health data analysis background, was allegedly hired to analyze the data results. He was paid 800 bucks an hour, while the officials monitoring the church were paid 219 bucks per hour. That's your taxpayer. They should, these people should be, oh, forget it. You don't know what I want to say here. What am I going to say? What do I want to say? You know what I want to say. Can I get in trouble for saying it? I don't know. Maybe I can. You know what should happen to these people. Attorney and information law specialist Irina Suckerman, Suck, Suck, Suckerman told the free press that the use of digital surveillance could be a serious violation of civil liberties. Okay, we won't call him Suckerman. It, it's Suckerman. T-S-U-K-E-R-M-A-N. Maybe it is Suckerman. The, story, the recent story by David Zweig has as its core false assertions and does not reflect an understanding of basic facts of the county's public health orders or enforcement program. The county of Santa Clara, located in Silicon Valley, said in a statement to Fox Digital. Santa Clara County denied tracking churchgoers, of course. To be clear, the county did not use cell phone surveillance to track anyone. The article cites an after-the-fact analysis of third-party commercially available aggregate. Yeah. Uh, a trial over the fines is set for the U.S. District Court of Northern California, San Jose Division in May. Since the lawsuits and the COVID-19 pandemic, membership at Calvary has increased. From 1,000 to over 3,000 people. Good. I'm not even religious. And maybe I'll join this church. Look how insane these people are. Seriously, folks. Look how insane they are. Look at what they did. Look at what they did. Meanwhile, this was all happening in May and June. Remember, this was all happening in May, June of 2020. What else was happening in May, June of 2020? Burn down that building. Burn it down. Burn down Walgreens. Burn down CVS. George Floyd. George Floyd. George Floyd. Cops suck. Cops suck. Cop. Defund the cops. Defund the cops. Defund the cops. All cops are bastards. All cops are bastards. All cops are bastards. Burn them down. Thousands of us spitting on each other, screaming, night after night, week after week, month after month. That was okay. 
That was okay, but going in church and praying was not. Remember this. Remember this. And that is how Ron DeSantis knew it was all bullshit, but Donald Trump didn't realize it was bullshit at that point. So remember that if you're a Republican and you're voting in the primary next year. This is what they did. Look at what they did. Look at what they did. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. disgusting. Absolutely. You should burn in hell for this. Yeah, that's a religious thing to say, right? Burn in hell. They should burn in hell for this. Imagine that. Our taxpayer dollars. $800 an hour for that guy, Daniel Ho. $219 an hour for these people to go running after churchgoers. Sickening. Totally sickening. I did want to, you know, I I like to introduce, uh, I said that was a positive story. I don't think it was a positive story. I hope they win, but this is California. They'll probably have to take it to the Supreme Court. They'll probably, I would, they might lose. They might not, but they might lose in California court. But if they take it to the Supreme Court, they'll win. And that's probably where they have to take it. That's probably, and, and that's exactly what any lawyer will bring up. Forget about the, the basic fundamental First Amendment rights and freedom of religion and to express your religion. But just the fact that while this was happening, while these churchgoers are being run after by these lowlifes in Santa Clara County, directed by Sarah Cody, people were rioting in the streets. And they weren't. no one was stopped. No one was being tracked. None of these rioters were being tracked. No one was paying anyone $800 an hour to track these rioters. In fact, People, the politicians came out and said, no, this is fine. The health departments came out and said, no, this is fine. This is okay. People can riot and loot and rape and kill in the streets, destroy our businesses, but you can't go to church. Oh, God, what contempt I have for these people. Bile. There's something that came out of their mouths for three years. Bile. But I will go to a positive story. Only took an hour, but I'm going to get to a positive. I think this is a positive story because we talk about. First, I'm going to go to Bill Maher. This is good. This is a, a one-two punch of positiveness. We talk about this crazy reparations thing, which, as everyone knows who listens to the show, I think it's all bullshit. They're just doing it to score brownie points. It's never going to happen. They want to. They want to lasso blacks back into the Democratic Party. It's all bullshit. The same way they lassoed young people into voting for them in November for the uh, student loan thing, which will never happen either. But, but, but. We must call this plan what it is. So not now, not 10 years from now, not a million years from now, does this ever really happen. But Bill Maher uh, was on earlier today, and he torched the, uh, the, the, the reparations plan as crazy, calling it madness. Real-time host Bill Maher took a blowtorch towards San Francisco's crazy reparations plan that would give black residents millions of dollars. During the panel discussion on Friday night with former presidential candidate Andrew Yang and Representative Alyssa Slotkin, Democrat of Michigan, Maher asked the reparation proposals going too far, saying it's quite a lot to give each black resident five million bucks. Even I didn't go this far, Yang quipped, alluding to his universal basic income plan. He ran back in 2020. I mean, it seems like, you know, when people ask, why are you talking against the woke craziness? Because it's crazy. 
Isn't that crazy, Mar said? And by the way, San Francisco doesn't have a history of slavery or anything like that. You know, it would cost every citizen that's still living there $600,000 each. This is madness, is it not? Yang chalked up the proposal as being a political statement. See, Yang knows. Telling Mar, we have a lot of people at various stages of public office who are putting out bills and policies that are more for the messaging and stoking the fires on social media than actually trying to get something passed. Yang is 120,000% right. Exactly what I've been saying. The HBO star also addressed the turmoil that erupted at Stanford University where progressive law students shadowed down Trump appointed. We, we've talked about that. So Mar, as usual, is, is, has lots of common sense lately, and it's, that's totally annoying, totally annoying the, the, uh, the left wing. They think, he's, they, they, they think he's a Trumper simply because he has common sense, simply because he's not willing, like myself, to go into the abyss with these idiots, with these extreme lunatics, to not, not, to be, not to be swept up in their nuttiness and be as crazy and mentally disturbed as they are. That makes us Trump supporters. That makes us Trumpers. It's amazing how you can never vote for somebody and you can criticize them all the time and actually be called a Trumper. If I had never voted for Obama and I always criticized him, would I be an Obama? Would I be what was he, a Trumper? Would I be, uh, would I be an Obama? Would I be a, a cult of Obama? No, but this thing where if you disagree with him, you're a Trumper, regardless of the fact that you never voted for the guy that you've criticized a lot of stuff he does. He's still, he's still a Trumper to them because they can never defend their position, so they have to just call you names, basically. They have to just call you names, basically. And backing up Bill Maher is the San Francisco NAACP. The NAACP of San Francisco slammed the $5 million reparations uh, plan. They called for the city to reject the proposal. The group argued for investments and opportunities for the black community instead of direct payments for black residents. We strongly believe that creating and funding programs that can improve the lives of those who have been impacted by racism and discrimination is the best path forward toward equality and justice, uh, San Francisco NAACP President Amos Brown said. What they said. Um, the NAACP slammed it said because they believe that other programs would work better, right? Other programs that advance people who have been discriminated against work better and that there's no need for this and this is going too far. And this is just, but they're right. This is just politically, this is just purely political. That's the problem. This is purely political. These other things the NAACP uh, talks about, it's, it's not, once again, it's not politically advantageous to do this. It's not a hot button political issue that can get you votes, you know, and, and uh, as Andrew Yang said, can get you on social media, can score you huge brownie points, they don't, political brownie points among the left. So, yeah, so that's, you know, uh, that's part of why the Board of Supervisors and the mayor – here in San Francisco, I'm not going to talk about these real things. You know, they're not going to talk about these real things that can help. They want these hot button political issues. They simply want these hot button political issues. That's it. That's it. That's that's what that is what uh, they're doing this for. That's the reason they're doing this. And so, you know, basically. We're looking at a situation where you have to recognize, as I've said before, this is not real. As Andrew Yang said, none of this is going to come to fruition. It's all done 
to score brownie points. It's all done. They saw the, the board of supervisors here saw what happened this past November. They saw that Biden's fake student loan forgiveness thing got young people to vote for Democrats and Republicans didn't gain as many seats as they would have if those people had stayed home, which they usually do. So basically, we're in a situation now where they see the Democrats have been hemorrhaging minorities. They've been hemorrh hemorrhaging African-American voters. And this is a way to get national exposure. Once again, they don't worry about this in San Francisco, winning elections. They don't worry about winning elections in California. But they want this to spread virally throughout the country to lasso black voters back into the Democratic Party. That's what they want. That's basically what the point is of all this. That's basically what the point is. So, you know, as long as we can recognize it as that, we can certainly fight them on it. You know, we can certainly, oh, you know, uh, we can, we, 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 it's, it's good that they know that we know that they know that we know <laughs> that they, they know that we know that they're playing this game. But this is just a, a purely political game they're playing. But how sad is that? How sad is that you have to lie to people, right? You have to lie to people to try to get them back. You have to lie to people to try to get them in to your corner instead of telling them the truth. But the Democrats know this now. They're losing, they're losing on every single narrative. They're losing on every single issue. So they can't talk about issues to get people to vote for them. They have to make stuff up. They have to... Uh, fool people in order to get them to vote for them. Very sad. And that's where we are. Um, another story I wanted to cover what is, uh, and we haven't really talked, I haven't really talked about this much. And this is the uh, Hunter Biden laptop issue. Now, look, this goes along with the media and the media being the enemy of the people and the arm for the DNC. And not caring about the real issues. Remember, the media told us for how long that there was no Hunter Biden laptop. That there was no Hunter Biden laptop. It, it didn't exist, right? It simply didn't exist. The Hunter Biden laptop didn't exist. It was fake. It was made up. It was fake news. Uh, we, we were making it up to hurt Joe Biden. We were making it up to to hurt his chances of winning. When, in fact, they were simply omitting the story because they wanted him to win, right? They wanted him to win. They wanted Joe Biden to win the election. And so they purposely censored and deleted the Hunter Biden story, right? So here we are now, two, over two years later, Joe Biden's won. There's, there's no, but of course he may be running. He may not be running. Who knows? Who knows? But they got their way because Joe Biden won. If the Hunter Biden story had been out there before the 2020 election, it's very likely that Donald Trump would still be president, that Joe Biden wouldn't have won. So now we're seeing uh, that Hunter Biden is suing the laptop repair shop owner, McIsaac, the guy that wears the Scottish hat. What do you call those hats? Anyway, he wears it. The lawsuit is a counter move against John Paul McIsaac, escalating the legal battle. But, but here's the problem with this. So Hunter Biden has filed this lawsuit against the computer repair shop owner um, because he never claimed it. And I guess he, he's suing him. He, this is what the counterclaim is. 
that Biden and Secretary of State had no legal right to copy and distribute private information. They accused him and others of six counts of invasion of privacy, including conspiracy to obtain and distribute the data. But here's the problem. I thought there was no laptop. I, I, I thought it didn't exist. So here is Hunter Biden and Biden administration, the Biden family and the Biden lawyers admitting. They're admitting that there's a laptop. So where is the news media saying, oh, uh, we lied. We lied. There was actually a laptop. Where, where's the media? Where are they? You see, this is more, once again, I, I, I criticize Donald Trump all the time, but there are certain things he did and said that were 100% right, which is saying that the media, the current media as we know it, is the enemy of the people. He wasn't talking about the media in 1950. He wasn't talking about the media in 1930 or 1980. He's talking about now. And he's right. They are the enemy of the people because they lie purposely to get their narrative pushed. Okay? They lie purposely to get their people elected. They want to see elected. That's not their job. They can go work in politics. They can go work. Often they do, right? Like Jen Psaki, double agent. Jean-Pierre, double agent. These aren't real. These aren't real serious people. But if you're going to be a journalist and call yourself a journalist and write stories and claim things, then you have to be a journalist. You can't say, oh, I like Joe Biden. I don't want Joe Biden getting hurt. I have Trump derangement syndrome, so I'm going to cancel the whole story. That, that's true. So here we are with this lawsuit, and they are proving, they are proving that it was all true. Remember, they're not suing saying it wasn't true. They're suing saying that they didn't have the right to distribute that information that was on there, that private information that was true, that existed, that laptop that existed but there'll be no apology. There'll be no apology. There'll be no apology from anyone. There'll be no apology from the media. Remember the former owners of Twitter who actually canceled the New York Post Twitter feed because they dare put this story out there before the election? It's very sad that we are living in this kind of a time right now. We are very, it's very sad. And at some point, this has got to end because this is a very, very, very sick thing for society that we don't have a real media, a real media. It's incredibly problematic that we don't have a real media that we can count on, that we can rely on. And I, I don't know where we go from here with this. I really don't. Once again, we're getting to the point now where, and, and there was another story today. Oh, this was on, this was on Tucker Carlson. <laughs> you have, you have the media back in 2008, well, sorry, back in 1989. Okay. This is back in 1989. The Associated Press said this in 1989. Entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels. Do you want to know what year they quoted? 2000. So in 1989, they said that 11 years from that point, 11 years from that point, entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels. The Guardian in 2004, said major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate. Want to give the year? 2020. 
I think that passed a few years ago. So in 2004, they were saying that 16 years from that date, major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas. Here's Al Gore. Al Gore in 2006, the North Pole will be ice free in the summer by 2013 because of man-made global warming. Al Gore in 2006 said seven years from that point, the North Pole will be ice free because of man-made global warming. Have they ever apologized for any of this? Have they ever been called on the carpet for any of this by someone other, other than Tucker Carlson or Fox News? This is once again the same alarmism that we saw during COVID. Oh, the death rate is 5%, 5% mortality. Five out of every 100 people that get this will die. It doesn't matter if they're 12, 15, 37, 52, in great shape, fat, whatever. 5% of everyone that gets this is going to die. The same shit over and over again. It's the same game they play over and over again. My question is, when do we say, we don't believe you anymore? Shut up. And because they lie about this, this is what you call the child, what the, the um, uh, boy, the pride wolf syndrome, right? So when they might be right about something, no one's going to believe them. And we're seeing this now with actual childhood vaccinations, the ones everyone took before COVID, the ones that no parents ever, very few parents, some had the thing with, with what do you call it, autism, but most people, most children got all their childhood vaccination schedules before COVID. But because of what they did with the COVID vaccine, now parents are starting to question whether they should give their children any vaccines. Boy, they cried wolf. Boy, they cried wolf. That's what happens. And whose fault is it? It's their fault. It's absolutely 100% their fault. We have no reason to believe them anymore, folks. I don't know how many times I can say it. We have no reason to believe them anymore on anything they say. Because they constantly lie. They lie to advance their narrative. They, they make people fearful. And when you put instill fear in people, you can manipulate them in a lot of ways. And that's what they did. They simply, they simply manipulated people. It's a cult. The COVID cult, the climate cult. They're all cults. They're all cults. And at some point, why well, hope people can break free? You know, I, I had this, this moron on Twitter today say to me, well, I put up a, a comment to Joe Walsh, who said, well, you know, uh, uh, Joe Walsh, who now has, you know, like I said, has Trump derangement syndrome purposely because it advanced his career. Like so many on the right did did the same thing, said, oh, no, you know, these scientists, the top scientists in the world, they didn't do any of this. Maybe they were wrong on a couple of things, but they didn't do it nefariously. To think they did it on purpose is that you're crazy. And I said, well, Joe, I don't understand people like myself who've been talking out for the last three years about how it was all bullshit. Their, their mandates were bullshit. Their, their, their cures were bullshit. And a lot of scientists, doctors, like Marty McCarry, Jay Bhattacharya, how did we all know this stuff? Are we, were, were we geniuses? Were, were we clairvoyant? 
How do we know this? And so some idiot responds to me and says, well, I didn't hear. Where did you write about that? That you? Oh, how, how, how do I know you were right? These people are morons. I said, did you ever hear of Twitter? Oh, oh but because because Twitter canceled us because CNN said we didn't exist because R- Russia Maddow or nervous Chris Hayes said that we didn't exist. Or that we all were conspiracy theorists that made it true to these people. Incredible. Incredible. Like I've said many, many times, folks, it is sick out there and it's getting sicker. It's sick out there and it's getting sicker. But some people can't be helped. And I found that after three years, right? If the three years of this, if people don't get it, if they haven't gotten it by now, they don't want to get it. They don't want to get it. They simply are at the point where they can't be helped anymore. They can't be helped. And as I said to this person, if you're willfully blind, after three years, if you're willfully blind to the lies they told and the way they censored the rest of us, who had a different narrative than they did. If you're blind to that, if, you, if you're willfully blind to the truth, you can't be helped. You don't want to know the truth. What did Jack Nicholson say? You can't handle the truth. I just saw a Seinfeld episode where uh, <laughs> Jason Alexander, Jason Alexander, no, no, wait, John, don't do it yet, John. Wait a minute. John was premature. Premature Williams. Watch out for that. Um, Jason Williams comes in and says, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle it. And Jerry goes, what are you doing? He says, I'm doing my uh, Jack Nicholson impersonation. Well, they can't handle the truth. I'm not going to try to impersonate Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. That's pretty good, right? Wait, you can't handle the truth. That's not bad. That's not bad. No, I want the truth. That's Tom Cruise. Okay. Um, anyway, we've talked about a lot today, and I think it's almost time that was a great transition talking about Jack Nicholson and Seinfeld and a few good men and all that. Cause we're going to, John's going to John, you can start queuing up, John, I love you, but wait until I say, okay, don't, don't get me premature. Hooray for Hollywood. No one, no one, no one likes premature. Hooray for Hollywood anyway, but we do have uh, I think we're going to, we're going to transition into our, it's Friday night. It's about 1230 uh, in the morning Pacific time right now, as I speak, 330 in the morning Eastern time. Uh, people might be wondering, what the hell am I going to Mike, Mike, what am I doing this weekend? What am I going to do this weekend? Am I, is there anything to me, for me to do? Do I have to just sit and watch Fox News? No, you don't have to. I mean, you can if you want, but there's other stuff to do. And I'm going to do a, a couple of uh, films here. So let's, John, come on in, John. Now you can, now you can, you can go. All right, John. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, John. John will probably stick around and play me out. He'll probably stick around. John, thanks. I mean, John was just at the Oscars on Sunday, and here he is five days later. He's in my apartment. The guy is amazing. I can see why Spielberg likes him so much. All right, two films. What am I going to go to first? What am I going to go to first? What film should I do first? 
Should I do the upbeat funny one or should I do the downbeat one? <laughs> Which one should I do first? Are you new? Okay, uh, should I play the trailer? Should I play the trailer? I don't know. Yeah, okay, I think I'll, okay, this is the trailer for the first one. And I might not play the whole thing, but I'll play part of it. And the film is called Champions with Woody Harrelson. Tetris, Tetris, Tetris. It's the perfect game. That's not it. That's not it. That's, that's not it. Sorry. Te te technical difficulties. Please stand by. See, IMDb makes you go through an ad. IMDb makes you go through an ad <clears throat> to get to the good stuff. Everything does, right? <clears throat> Sorry. Everything nowadays. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Nothing but bad news they just need to feel like a team. Uh, we're going to need some help. We're getting a player off the injured list. Argentina! Argentina! Welcome to the team, Constantina. What's with the boogie board? You do you, I do me, okay? Where do you get this guy? He just showed up one day. Okay, so the movie's called Champions, and it's um, <laughs> directed by Bobby Fowley. Now, remember the Farrelly's, they, they, they directed all those, you know, movies with really, you know, crass, uh, unwoke, non-woke humor. Um, uh, something about Mary, uh, uh, Kingpin, so on and so forth. And they've kind of gone, they've kind of gone their separate ways. And Bobby's now making these feel-good comedies and, and Peter's making the more serious stuff, right? Like Green Book. But they're both great directors in different regards now this is look it's very it, it, it's predictable right woody harrelson is this down and out college basketball coach who was thrown off in iowa he's thrown off the team because he pushed he was the assistant coach and he pushed the head coach played by ernie hudson down because he didn't agree with some of the plays he was calling and so he gets he gets uh, fired and one night he's out drunk driving and he and the police take him and put him in the prison and the judge gives him a decision you can spend 18 months in jail or you can go do community service in 90 days and coach a, 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 a basketball team of mentally handicapped kids. And so, of course, he takes the reluctantly takes the assignment of coaching the, the mentally uh, handicapped kids. And, you know, he's coaching the mentally handicapped kids. And, 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 they, and of course, he comes to appreciate them. He comes to like them. He comes to know them. And he ends up taking them to like the, the Special Olympics uh, championship. Now he also uh, uh, along the way falls in love with the, the the sister of one of the of one of the kids on the team, and so it, it's a pretty you know predictable arc, you know as these sports films follow a predictable arc. And and Bobby Farrelly doesn't try to make it not predictable, <laughs> but the the great thing about I think Farrelly's movies is that they're all about the underdog does good, right? They're all about the underdog. Uh, 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 ends up being the real winners in the end, right? And whether it be uh, the bowlers in Kingpin, you know, or whether it be 
<clears throat> the the characters in uh, something about Mary. Uh, in this film, once again, we got Woody Harrelson, a down and out guy who's trying to rehabilitate his reputation. And these kids, these mentally these mentally handicapped kids. And Willie Halston makes it known in one scene to, to one particular basketball player that the word retard is a no-no word, as he calls it, a no-no word, um, and uh, and takes him to the championship and everyone redeems themselves. And the great thing about Bobby Farley's movies is there's a lot of – it's a little bit less now than before, but the humor is not very politically correct, okay? The humor is not very woke humor, which is kind of refreshing. There's less of that now. The, his films have become a little more sentimental now than they used to be. And there's less, there's, there's less of that humor, although we still get barf jokes. We still get fart jokes. We still get all the stuff we've come to expect in a Bobby Fowley movie. And like I said, a very predictable arc. But everyone in the film seems to be having a great time, whether it's Woody Harrelson or this this will be and the people in Hollywood who want actual people to play certain roles, such as Latinos to play Latinos. 70-year-olds to play 70-year-olds, fat people to play fat people. The mentally handicapped kids in this film are actually mentally handicapped actors, okay? They're not actors pretending to be mentally handicapped, and they're great. They are fantastic. They're fantastic. So, um, like I said, it's a very predictable film, but everyone seems to be having a great time. It has a great heart. There's still a lot of that Farrelly humor off, off color, Bobby Farrelly humor in there. And Woody Harrelson is at the center of it all, steady as always, uh, carries the film through uh, another great Har uh, Woody Harrelson type performance. So you're not going to see anything unexpected in this movie, not going to see anything surprising in this movie, but you are going to have a good time. And it's really maybe a feel good movie and a, a lot of good laughs, a lot of laughs. And maybe it's a, a movie that we need right now. So I'm going to recommend the film Champions. Now, a very different kind of film. Uh, this film stars Willem Dafoe and is called Inside. Uh, let's see. Let's see. If, should I play the... The trailer here is going to be kind of... I'm not going to play the trailer because there's not much dialogue in this movie. <laughs> so it would be kind of a waste of time to play the trailer. Uh, it's a trailer you want to look at more than listen to. So if you go on IMDb, you can watch the trailer. Uh, Vasilis uh, Katsupis died, uh, direct this as a Greek director. And this film has Willem Dafoe, who's an art thief, and he breaks into this beautiful penthouse apartment in Manhattan that looks like it's more of an art gallery than an apartment, but it's one of those loft apartments that can, you know, double as an apartment than an art gallery. And he breaks in. The film opens with him breaking in and communicating with someone on the outside who has all the codes for him to open the door, close the door, so on and so forth. And he goes to, he goes to um, steal three or four art pieces worth about $10 million. And what happens is he ends up getting caught in the apartment. The door opening sequence doesn't work, and he gets locked in, and he cannot get out. It's a penthouse apartment. There's no way for him to get out. He's locked in the apartment. And so as the film goes along, it's basically just Willem Dafoe's show for almost two hours of being locked in this apartment and trying to find a way out. Uh, he is kind of resourceful. He comes out with, with some pretty good ideas on how to do it, but none of it works. So he's basically locked into this fortress, which becomes – it's a gorgeous state-of-the-art apartment, but it kind of becomes a prison for him. And we see him kind of going – uh, uh, 
mental and mental decline throughout the film. In other words, like the idea of no man is an island and there he is by himself. There's also a problem with the thermostat where the thermostat starts uh, increasing and increasing and increasing to the point of where it gets to about 105 degrees and then suddenly <laughs> lowers to about 40 degrees. So we also can't control the temperature. So it goes from being stiflingly hot to incredibly cold. And also there's no water running. Can't flush a toilet. There's no water in the sinks to take to to drink. There's no there's very little food in the refrigerator. So you can see where this is going. And so it's kind of a downward spiral for Defoe as he tries to find a way to survive and also try to find a way to get the fuck out of the place. Not going to give away what happens at the end. Does he make his way out? Does he not make his way out? Does he die there? What happens? But the film is very symbolic in a lot of ways. It tries to be a little overly symbolic. As we try to figure out what exactly it's trying to say, it seems to be trying to say a lot of things. And when a film like this tries to say a lot of things and tries to throw in a lot of symbolism, in the end, it maybe says nothing. It's kind of the problem with the film. However, however, I have to recommend the film simply because of Willem Dafoe's performance. This film would not work at all without Willem Dafoe. But Willem Dafoe is such a fantastic actor, as I hope everyone understands. And in this film, he uses his physicality, which, of course, Wonderful uses in most of his movies, uh, his, his, his reed-thin, almost skeleton-like physicality as he progresses or his, as he regresses both physically and mentally throughout the film as he's locked into this. But we also get the theme. We do, get, uh, we, we, we do grasp some themes here, which is that here he is locked in this beautiful apartment, right, with incredible amenities, with a, with a refrigerator that when it's open for too long, uh, the song Macarena plays through the loudspeakers. So, you know, to close the refrigerator every 30, you know, if, it, if it's open for more than 30 seconds, that song plays. So we have a, a, a apartment that has all the bells and whistles that is beautiful, that is state of the art, high tech, New York City penthouse apartment, yet nothing in it works. So we have a situation where it's almost a person. It's like all the water in the world, but none to drink. That's kind of the theme here. And it's also the theme of maybe uh, this uber capitalism. And here's a man who can't take advantage of any of it, right? Everything starts to go south. And an art thief who evidently cannot get the job done and is stuck in this apartment where everything that is made there in order to make life more livable becomes less and less livable as the film goes along. Like you see where I'm going. There's a lot of symbolism here. And like I said, sometimes the film can get too bogged down in symbolism. In the end, we wonder exactly what it all meant. But once again, what we do get is a great, fantastic performance, physical, just incredibly psychologically um, uh, engrossing performance by Willem Dafoe, which carries the film through. Watching Dafoe, this one-man show basically by Dafoe, uh, is what makes it worthwhile. Uh, like I say, it's not a pleasant film to watch necessarily. It's not a film you make, you're definitely going to watch a second time. Um, but Willem Dafoe's performance is phenomenal, as always, and he makes the film uh, worthwhile. You really can't take your eyes off him, even though you might want to look the other way sometimes, uh, especially in the scene where he uses a, uh, uh, a a fish in the fish tank for to make sushi as he tries to find inventive ways to, <laughs> to feed himself. Um, anyway, so I'm going to recommend this film also. So... Two very different films, depending on your mood. Champions and Inside, stuff to do for you this weekend. John, I'm sorry. 
I, I spoke a lot, John. Are you still around? Can you play me out, please? Thank you. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. So it was a good show, a great week. A lot happened. And um, that's the end of the week. There's nothing else to talk about. I'm talked out. There's absolutely nothing else to talk about. Until Monday, of course, when there'll be plenty to talk about. <laughs> so the name of the show is Unless Be Heard. And it airs weekdays. 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern for all you East Coast nightbirds out there. This is Mike Cachopoli spinning the blues. No, anyway. Anyway, so all of you nightbirds out there in New York, thanks for listening, as always. And uh, I will see you on Monday night. Everyone, please have a, have a great weekend. Have a fantastic weekend. And I'll see you Monday night. But until then, this is Mike Cachopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.